You're listening to Dead Air Podcast, part of SplatterPictures.net. What's up, everybody? Wes, Dead Air Nipe here with, always... Typical Lydia. I didn't even have to do the point to you that time. I know, because I'm here and I'm, hang- I'm paying attention. It's daylight and I'm awake. <laughs> My headache's gone. That's great. For those of you who don't know, I, being schooled in radio, oftentimes will do the silent point to Lydia to let her know that it's time for her to say her name, uh, which, now that I think about it, is really dehumanizing, and I'm sorry. <laughs> Since when have I ever been very human? There's that, Yeah. You can point at me uh, all you like. I don't care. Half the time I still stare at you blankly anyway. <laughs> That's not true. Sometimes you have some great things to say. Uh, on today's show, we are going to be doing the 2009 slasher film, Laid to Rest. Um, I picked this movie out of a hat, as we normally do. It's interesting. In the 2000s, there was a little resurgence of what is considered back-to-basics or back-to-old-school slashers. For a lot of older horror aficionados, the 90s were considered to be a bit of a dead zone when it comes to horror. I don't agree with that, mainly because I grew up in the 90s, and I thought that horror in that decade was just fine. Because when you think about it, you're like, well, you know, Dead Alive, uh, Cemetery Man, uh, Ringu, um, uh, fucking help me out here. There was all kinds of, I liked People Under the Stairs. I liked all kinds of movies. Now, granted, I was like nine in 1990 or eight or nine or something like that and by the time the two uh, the 2000s rolled in i wasn't even <laughs> out of high school but still these types of movies that existed in the 90s weren't terrible to me i mean even if you want to you can even extend that to a lot of thrillers that have a horror edge to them yeah like, there's a lot of that coming like, like silence of the lambs silence of the lambs seven, and stuff like seven that. all that kind of stuff i think it's because they're also varied and different was what people's problem was when it came to horror sucking apparently because it wasn't following that formula it wasn't a stock and slash it wasn't uh, a shadowy guy where you have a nice convenient red herring that yeah yeah you get tricked and you feel you get the aha moment later and you got a couple like cute little bombshell girls that scream once stare without blinking and then blood trickles out and that's like you see that seven times in a film and that's your little formula everyone got really used to that so as soon as everything started being different and like looking at you know sounds of the lambs and people under the stairs and ringu like Mm -hmm. good examples all so fucking different and all nothing like horror was beforehand especially american horror in particular yeah when people are talking about horror sucking, they're usually referring to the lack of very good slashers. Although, I'll point out another one, Candyman. Candyman came out in 1992. Uh, I love that movie. It scared me as a little kid. Maybe if you were in your 20s or 30s at that point, you didn't like it. But I was a kid. It wasn't I, following that formula, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, what an elegant movie. Uh, anyway, I'm, I digress. Slashers, as anyone listening to this podcast knows, probably, that they came into their own in the late 70s, into the 80s. And that's when the big boom happened. That's where all of your big franchises come from. Uh, from Black Christmas all the way to 
Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street and all these fucking things and sequel after sequel after sequel. And with like your odd ones peppered here and there. Mm-hmm. Prom night, April Fool's Day, f- fucking you name it. There's all kinds of them. They stopped making a lot of money. The big tried and true franchises were becoming less and less profitable as they became more and more ridiculous. And then like a lot of things in Hollywood, if it stops making money, they kind of go away. Not entirely, but something needs to fill that void. And then 1996 happened. And then slashers became self-referential. And, <laughs> and that was the resurgence of this particular subgenre of horror with Scream. I know what you did last summer. Urban Legend. How It's polarizing. I don't like self-referential horror. I don't... Unless it's done really well. There's exceptions to every rule. Hills Run Red is a great example of a self-referential horror movie that I do like a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, Behind the Mask. The Rise of Leslie Vernon. Amazing film. And I, I enjoy those. Even the, the crappier ones that mm-hmm. you're talking about, the, the the ones that turned into franchises as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I watch them for uh, the comedic element, and it's no different than watching um, a buddy bro comedy to yeah. me. That's that's about the extent I, I get to uh, bromance comedies, is watching <laughs> these self-referen- self-referential horror comedy type things like scream yeah and even scary movie i'll even count that yeah scary movie uh i saw that in the theater with my friends and we were howling with laughter Mm -hmm. so it must have done what it exactly what it's supposed to do and honestly for everything that people can say about scream i will say that it showed hollywood that there was still money in these in this subgenre if nothing else but then you still get the people that are like, oh, I don't like that. That's not horror. You're making fun of me. You're poking fun at things yes. I love. Mm-hmm. And you're still not producing my slight, slightly varied classic stock and slash that I need to see. Just slap a different name on it and I'll be happy. Just mm-hmm. keep making those and keep letting them go into theater because that's where I like to go to watch my films. So those people were pissed because that wasn't happening anymore. What was in theater mm-hmm. was, well, Saw, which is quote unquote torture porn. And yeah, they and didn't I, like that. They didn't like and that. And they didn't no. like fucking people making fun of the older style of horror. Yeah. And they were the first to say horror is dead. Yeah. It's interesting, especially when things like Saw and Hostel, House of a Thousand Corpses, those types of movies were coming out and making a lot of money or at least getting a lot of attention. And people acting so shocked when really, not to that extent, But those movies are a throwback to things that were coming out before the 80s, before practical effects got to the point in the 1980s where we were seeing things in horror that we had never seen previously just because it wasn't really feasible. But it's also considered a fairly conservative time for films coming out uh, in the U.S. So the Reagan era of horror which is definitely a thing, shows much more supernatural things, much more pop icons out of a lot of the characters, uh, violence to like cartoony levels. There was nothing as gritty as when these quote-unquote torture porns, and I fucking hate that term. I fucking hate it too. I can't stand it because on the, at best, you are being reductive and saying that the only thing people care about is just watching this scene as to get some kind of release out of it. Uh, And the only thing the filmmaker cares about is providing that. Yeah. And uh, worst case scenario, you're accusing of people who make this 
and watch it as deviance. Worst case scenario. Yeah. So... And the fact that it's applied to films that... None of those films deserve that title, but it's applied to films that, like Saw, it has a real... It has an actual storyline. There's a lot more going on there, and it's not that torture-heavy. Especially the first one. If you watch the first one, and you just keep hearing that phrase, torture porn, torture porn, oh my god, Saw, what a what a grotesque thing. And then you go back and watch it. It's not it's, really it's, that gory. It's not that graphic. No. Uh, even, it, that was my thoughts on Human Centipede when I finally saw it. I was like, wow, not as graphic as I thought it was going to be. No, exactly. And I'm glad that it wasn't. And trying to explain to people that it isn't, that haven't seen it, good fucking luck. Because yeah. they've heard those two tor- terrible words attached to it. Yeah. Anyway, so we're totally off track. No, but it's good stuff. This is rich horror history. Rich horror history. This is no, rich, that's true. This is it rich is horror true. history, and it's good to frame it, because the reason why I'm bringing this up, the reason why I'm talking about the lull in slashers and then the resurgence in this time, self-referential, there was, a, there was another little pocket of people who started making movies in the 2000s. The two big franchises that I'm thinking of right now is Hatchet, and the other is Laid to Rest. Laid to Rest still counts as a franchise. There's two movies, soon to be three. Hatchet has three. Yeah. They kind of exist in the same camp to me because they're two different franchises that are making an icon out of their killer. It's obviously the most important thing about the movie is their killer. It's body counts. It's spectacular, gory kills. And it is not self-referential whatsoever. There's no joke here. There, it's like it's ridiculous. And if you're gonna make a joke out of it, you're making that joke all by yourself on your couch. Yeah, but it's not a character winking to the camera and being like, "Oh, do do do, it's a horror movie." Oops, I did it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And when they're actually terrified of the phones, it's not for a joke. Yeah. Even though it comes across as pretty jokey. But, yeah, and it's not that these killers are becoming icons accidentally or organically, the way that Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees definitely became icons by accident. Yes. Sure, they were the pivotal character in their first films. Yes. But then it was by the second or third one where they had they, they couldn't ignore the fan appeal. Oh, and they, the they become like superheroes. Cult. Yeah, the cult that built up around these guys. Um, Freddy Krueger, of course, was a little more... That was a little more um, purposeful. Yeah. The way he was molded into the iconic figure that he was. I don't think that his catching fire the way he did, no pun intended, <laughs> um, was as premeditated. Um, yeah. The the Freddy Krueger fever. But these guys, oh yeah, totally. They're they're designed entirely to be iconic killers. It's not happening organically. Oh yeah. yeah, you could see that somebody creating this movie was like, oh, this guy's gonna be a fucking action figure one day. I know it. <laughs> or I hope the fuck he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would have a chrome skull. Me too. Action figure for Me sure. Too. Me too. All I'd have that, like dude. a chrome skull body pillow. <laughs> oh my god. Cut off with that. <laughs> nah, I didn't develop the kind of crush I was hoping to develop. On Mr. Chrome Skull. Well, you need to see uh, Chrome Skull laid to rest too. Yeah. They pulled a they pulled a Rambo. Yeah, yeah. Because the the first one's laid to rest, and then the second one is Chrome Skull laid to rest too. Maybe they should do Chrome Skull three first blood. <laughs> Why not? Just to be funny. <laughs> no, it's just going to be Chrome Skull three. That's that's got to be that's the formula. 
Oh, God, we can't talk about formulas. Oh, why not? Electric Boogaloo. Oh, God. But anyway, titles aside, we're going to talk about this movie up and down. Holy fuck. I reviewed this film a long time ago on SplatterPictures.net as a written review. Not when it first came out, but I want to say a couple years after it came out. And I remember my experience for the first time watching that was that these characters are just too dumb to live. Too dumb to live. It's impossible to me that these characters haven't died before the movie started. That they haven't fallen into a ravine or left the (laughs) gas on in a car and suffocated, dropped radio while it was turned on in the bathtub. Something. Something. And everyone's like this. Every single person in this entire film is too dumb to live. Too dumb to live. And it's really one of those situations where it might be fine because everyone is at least consistently dumb. Yeah. Yeah, it sets a tone for the world that we're, we've entered here. Everyone is stupid. Mr. Chrome Skull doesn't even shine too bright. No pun intended again. <laughs> I just can't stop. And I don't even mean them. I only catch them after they dribble out my mouth. Mm -hmm. But he has his moments of complete, utter fucking stupidity, too. It'd be nice if he was, like, this, like, brainiac versus all these totally unintelligent morons that are just bumbling around through life, narrowly escaping being electrocuted in the bathtub. That would be kind of interesting, but he has his moments of fucking stupidity, too. Well, but also he definitely seems like the only guy that still is operating with a semblance of a plan. Oh, sure. And he does see how stupid and predictable they're all being. Like that one time I was joking like, okay, guys, well, I see that you've already found the mess I left at the cop station because I knew you were heading there. Might as well just go on down to the hardware store and wait for you while you go and collect axes or whatever the fuck you're going to (laughs) do. Well... That's what I'd do if I was him. Like, God, these people are stupid. Where would they go next? Well, they're obviously not going to go to a gun store because they're too stupid. They're going to go to, like, Well, if they if they, if they got a gun store with their luck, they would have no ammo at the store. Or they would try to shoot and the gun would jam. Or they would try to shoot the gun at Chrome Skull and the earth would open up under their feet and swallow them whole. I don't really know... How these people could be so fucking unlucky. We're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, we are. (laughs) So this movie's premise is a woman awakes inside of a casket. Which is the best scene in the whole film. It's pretty good. Um, the, The girl, who's referred to as the girl and then princess in the film. The actress playing her. Holy hell. I'm not a guy that harps on acting as much as people probably would assume only because I fully admit I don't always understand what makes a good actor and a bad actor. I honestly have a difficult time differentiating sometimes when I see a character I like and I think their character's cool. I think they're a good actor or the character was written well. Uh, Sometimes when I hear reviewers say, Oh my God, the acting in this is so atrocious. And I see the same movie, and I say to myself, well, I don't know if this acting is atrocious. I don't know what the problem is. That's the thing. A lot of the times I'm just, well, it's either the lines they're given to or what they're saying is not believable. And I think that's just it. If you're saying something ridiculous, but you're saying it with 
as much conviction as you possibly can. I guess that's good acting. Well, apart, I, I kind of get what you mean. Um, and I've seen some films where people have, have labeled the acting as bad. And I've thought, you know what? It's not all that bad. It's You just were holding out for a totally different sort of movie here. Yeah. You can tell. Um, because when I look at it, I'm like, it's, it's not that bad. That's not the problem with this film. If there's a problem to be had, it's your expectations. But uh, a lot of times I've looked at actors and been like, Okay, I'm no actor. I'm a horrible actor, actually. Mm-hmm. And Me too. I, I, yeah, I'm not an as actor. As long as at we're all. just putting so, it all on front street. Yeah. If I could do a better job than the person on screen who is an actor, then they're doing a pretty bad job. Because mm-hmm. if I could do better, right? Um, that said, I've seen some films where the acting just wasn't put on a leash or wasn't, it, they, they weren't given proper direction. Yeah. You could tell that they have it in them. Yeah. But they weren't given proper direction. Just maybe at all. one more take. One more take and they probably would have gotten that or Exactly. And it's just laziness on in, in the fault of the director. Yeah. I think. A lot of the times. And then of course the actor or actress gets blamed for yeah. that because that's whose face we have to deal with, right? Um, when a lot of it is due to wrangling. But her acting, yeah. I've never thought to myself, wow, that girl is such a horrible actor. She should have just shown more skin. And then I'd at least have that to look at. And wow. I thought that with this film. Really? Well, by the end, I did. The actress really is uh, Bobby Sue Luther, who is the wife of, uh, God, Robert Robert Hall. Sorry, the, the guy that directed and wrote Laid to Rest. So, I mean, it's great that they are working together. I think that maybe what the script was asking of her, she was not able to do. And it's a shame that you have virtually every scene in the film with her in it, with the exception of a few. And so much is on this woman's shoulders, and she can't do it. No, I think that the motivation of the character, as much as we were confused up until about the midpoint um, and beyond as to why she was behaving the way she was. I think she was confused as to why the character was behaving the way that she was. Mm -hmm. And she just didn't have a proper motivation. She didn't have anything to hinge on in her own life Mm -hmm. to bring this character to life. And she was also defaulting to particular personality traits that didn't fit with this character Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There were moments uh, right up at the top. And I told you... I warned you a little bit going into this movie. Yeah, because I'd never seen this at all. I had seen it once for the for the review. And I had said, just to let you know, this girl is going to act crazy dumb. But Chrome Skull got the whammy on her. He cracked her in the head. So she's kind of confused and, and jumbled up and she, her words aren't coming and yeah it's not made clear enough like it's not you'd given me the preface that's good thank god in a way but then I sort of said okay I'll put that in my pocket for a bit and just see how I would be thinking about this film and for a little bit I thought well is she drugged because they had her vision swimming like mm-hmm. a drugged person's would mm-hmm. but not for long enough to convince me that oh okay there's something wrong with her head uh, she just acts really dumb uh, it's not until like a third into the movie that she starts saying like, well, I guess about a f- 
quarter of the way into the movie where she's like, I can't remember the names for things. My brain isn't working right. I think I have a head wound. And that was like a quarter of the way into the movie already. So we've already had to deal with her acting like somebody who's slightly brain damaged, but not understanding why, because she's Mm -hmm. walking up right and she's making decisions like she has to get out of there. She knows she's in trouble. She has to figure out where she is and where she Mm -hmm. needs to go. So she's making these rational decisions just in the stupidest way possible. And it's really inconsistent. She knows some things, but she doesn't know other things. She looks at a telephone and knows enough that you can call the phone, yet looks confused at 911, and to know to call 911 in the first place. And then she walks towards a body in the morgue to the point where she rips the phone cord out. So she recognizes the phone. She doesn't know 911 is the emergency number until she reads it on the wall. But then she also rips the phone cord out of the wall accidentally. But let me tell you, when I first saw this movie a few years ago, and I saw that moment where the 911 emergency woman was saying, just 20 more seconds and we'll have your location and you're going to be okay. And she pulls that phone cord. I was just like, fuck, I wasted my money on this. And I was ready to write a really scathing review. When a character is acting so dumb that it insults my intelligence, yeah, that's when I get frustrated. That was my problem with the remake of Hills Have Eyes 2. When they had all of these military personnel, and I'm not a pro-military guy. I'm not like, yeah, all the time. But, I mean, I definitely think that soldiers are well-trained and not incompetent and should be able to handle their weapons and... Oh, they're at least of average intelligence. They would have to be, right? And you have... This is a whole other tangent, but The Hills Have Eyes too. those characters were just... They were too dumb to live. Too dumb to live. And you need to create better problems. Don't create dumber characters. Get better fucking problems. End of fucking story. Anyways. Anyways. I kind of like that she pulled the phone out of the cord because it... (laughs) I like that she pulled the phone out of the wall. Yeah, because she's wrapped up in trying to figure out and trying to remember that she totally forgets that help is on the other end of that phone. It's just not in her inner mind at all. She's more wrapped up in like, why am I even here? Which is the first question she needs to answer before she even picked up the phone. It's just, you know, bad timing, I guess, that she's trying to figure all this out while she's on the phone with 9-11. Well, you made me, now you've almost changed my mind about that scene because I didn't think about it in those terms before. I'm also coming from the point of view of somebody who has had and still has and often has and probably will in a minute have scrambled brain problems because when I'm really like low iron or suffering from horrible vertigo or malnourished, I don't think right and I can't remember names and that's not entirely why I forget like actors' names, producers' names, things like that or the names of things. When she calls the tire iron uh, a tire stick, Tire stick. That is something I would say. And the, the casket is a dead box. I would not go that stupid, but pretty <laughs> stupid. I get pretty stupid, and people laugh at me, make fun of me sometimes, and I'm just like, what? I don't know. The thing, you know, that they put the fire on, you know, with the wax and the, the thing with the string wax, wax string fire thing, you know that thing. <laughs> Until somebody's finally like candle. Really. It happens. It happens all the time. Um, I tend to not go out and mingle much when my brain's not working very well. But it does happen sometimes. But those 
people that are used to dealing with it mm-hmm. or my family just you know sometimes people get talking over me because I do talk pretty fast sometimes but when I'm not feeling right I talk extremely slow where I have to tell people just wait till I finish or let me gather my thoughts I'll remember the words for things so I've been in that sort of position before so I can sort of relate to what she's going through in a way even though it's not done very well Yes. Okay. You know, yeah. All right. Um, I'll pull back on it because you are right. But again, it goes to my initial comment where the script was, they were asking more out of her from the script than she was able to provide. And I think in those moments, you, if you are a producer on this film and your husband's directing it, I think you guys got to kind of bite the bullet and realize that for the sake of the project, get somebody else. Yeah, outside opinion for sure. And I'll tell you, spoilers, that actress is not in the sequel. And I love the sequel. Uh, I'm excited to see it now. And I and like I am excited to see it. And I, I did enjoy this film. No, yeah, I yeah. Did. And I don't... I, we're, it's nitpicky shit. Acting, some of the characters' interactions. But if you're not here to watch Laid to Rest... To, to care about that type of shit. If you're not here for that, well, and you want, well, where's my gore? Where's my cool killer? Well, you'll get that. Because um, holy fuck, these kills are cool. But just to go back to her for one second, and as far as her ability, even though her ability didn't improve, she's pretty much flatlined through the whole thing as far as acting and delivery. Um the last quarter when all of the work had been done as far as explaining to me the motivation of this girl and why she was the way she was not even where she came from and all that stuff because that's fun storyline too but just what made her act the way she was acting Mm -hmm. it didn't forgive the first half of the film but by that last quarter Mm -hmm. i would i really enjoyed the the character Mm -hmm. if they would have front-loaded from the beginning with I don't know what flashbacks, just her muttering to herself, her trying to figure out why her brain was as scrambled and why she was behaving so stupid. A little more time on that. A yeah. little more time on that, then I would have forgiven a lot more of her flat delivery. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they maybe had a scene. Yeah, like they could have had a longer stretch of time where she was by herself. She could be trying to go through anything. And not just making whimpery noises. Yeah, like she could have been trying to, they maybe could have had her try to find personal belongings. There's all kinds of stuff that they could have done. Uh, But they don't do that. What happens is is she ends up walking the road. She gets picked up by uh, Tucker, just the most laid back. Tucker is sweet. And I didn't believe it at first because like, I don't know. I'm like, you know. It's kind of hard to say. Crumb Skull's bald. Crumb's Tuck, Tuck, bald, Tucker's bald. Tucker's bald. You know, you get this this out of sorts, bleeding, scared girl in a truck with a strange dude, and he's like this big guy. He's kind of friendly, kind of yeah. smiley, kind of excited to help you out. Especially right away, I'm like, Ugh. yeah, creeper alert. Plus, it wasn't helping the fact that she was saying all this crazy stuff, and he's just laid back in that truck, just like. Oh, come on now, honey. It can't be all that bad. We'll get you safe. We'll We'll take care of you. We'll get you all figured out. (laughs) I'm just like, wow. Fuck. Creepy. (laughs) He's just a nice guy. But even then, I couldn't tell. Like, I'm like, okay, he's got a cane. So, like, maybe he's, like, not so tough after all. Or maybe the cane's a prop. 
You know, he's sort of pulling a Ted Bundy here, mm-hmm. and he's going to yeah. beat her over the head with it. He's going to bash her brains in or yeah, something. Yeah, totally. So I didn't know where to go with that. But I did like his character, for sure. Even though he's stupid as fuck, like everybody else in this film. But Yeah, he's... Uh, I'll tell you, he's not as bad. Uh, he's got some good acting scenes, I think. Believable acting scenes. And we'll get to that. He brings the girl princess to his home, where he's introduced to their wife. And the, they kind of set a, a plan in motion that is not running from a killer, because they don't really believe her. They kind of think that... She's probably messed up on something and is running away from some kind of an abusive boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And so they're just doing the good Christian thing and helping her out. While Chrome uh, Skull comes a-knocking and instantly kills the wife. Who is also the best actress. She was actually a really... Pretty, pretty believable. Pretty believable. And yeah, did her job really, really well. And then died really, really well. Yeah, the gore effects in this film are a combination of digital effects and practical. And it's always my go-to film when I'm coming, particularly the sequel, but even in this one, it's very strong. It's a go-to example of people who rely too heavily on CGI in horror films. I, I really like the aesthetic of these kills because it's practical effects with a little digital help. Yeah, which is a really good combination. You're totally, totally right there. Yeah. I mean, it's very brutal. A knife going into her head, her eyes becoming bloodshot instantaneously, a little bit of skin moving around the wound. This sounds grotesque, but it's really well done. And it's never asylum levels of CG either. No. So the chase is on. Now... The idea is to get away from Chrome Skull. Chrome Skull is a pretty cool-looking dude. He's very big. He's bald. He wears a very clean black suit. He's got a metallic skull kind of glued to his face. He's got a digital camera shoulder mounted to him. And he has a very big knife. A huge knife. Very big knife. Uh, serrated. So you can see that the focus is very much this guy. This is our fucking character. That's going to be the action figure. Yeah, he's always bathed in awesome light. He's always walking into scene in a particular fashion. He's always looking super tall. He's always shot from kind of below to make him look even more grandiose and big. Mm -hmm. He doesn't ever trip or slip up until the end. True. He's very fast. Uh, There's one kill that comes up almost immediately after. That's the other thing. When the killing starts uh, and the movie's pace is sort of set, it maintains it fairly well throughout the rest of it. It's just that chunk at the start that's really sort of daffy. And then there's a moment that we're getting to uh, that's also really fucking woof. Anyway. Um, <laughs> daffy is a good term. But he is. He is super deliberate. Um, mm-hmm. Even, yeah, all the, all the way through. He's pretty consistent as far as being uh, tough, immobile, deliberate. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, Tucker's brother-in-law shows up with his girlfriend thinking that uh, Tucker was cheating on it. it like some weird stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. his brother-in-law saw him pick up the girl on the road and then thought that Tucker was cheating on his wife who's this guy's sister and so he was coming to the house in the middle of the night to spill the beans I guess and instead gets his girlfriend's entrails spilled all over the fucking floor in a move so fast 
that man blinky would blinking you would have missed it it's it, it was only until like the second time knowing how she got it that i'd see his fucking like spinny jump in the air turn move where the girl's like running away and then all of a sudden she looks down and she's like oh my insides are all out before that her boyfriend gets the whole half of his head fucking cut off. Holy shit. Yeah, very, very brilliant. Where I wish she would have screamed and freaked out a little bit more mm. um, instead of being so, so determined to grab the phone. But you see, I dug that scene because Chromskull was like playing with her. Yeah. She like reached for the phone. He's like, ah, uh-uh. Ah, ah. He taps his knife on the phone and then she reaches for it again and he stabs her. Um, Chromskull's a very ritualistic dude. His deal seems to be that he has to be recording his murders. Mm -hmm. So his camera must be operational. It must be focused on whom he's killing. And it's got to be the right tape, the right order. Anytime he gets damaged, he's got uh, kind of like a mobile thing that patches himself up. He seems to juice himself up a little bit. I don't know if he injects himself with drugs to kind of keep him like juiced up or what it is if it's painkillers vitamin b12 vitamin b12 uh just get his electrolytes so right down a powerade and he's ready to go to counteract the effects of the inhaling so much glue <laughs> i never thought about that do you think that maybe he was just a dude going out for halloween one day and he's like i can't figure out how to put this mask on I'll glue it on. And so he puts glue on his mask and then he huffed the fumes and that's what made him crazy? Could very well. Airplane <laughs> glue can do some fantastic things in the human brain. And it's probably smelling salts or something that he needs to like snap himself out of it so he can walk <laughs> upright. Poor fella. He, uh, he, he never speaks. He, well, he speaks with, with recorded messages. Yeah. That he combines into sentences. It's weird. Um, but cool. I liked it. It's a good killer. Like, honestly, any problems that I'll gripe with with this movie, it's nothing to do with the killer or the actor that played the killer. I liked all that stuff. I like the reliance on technology on his part, and I wish there was even more of it. Mm -hmm. He could have gotten away with having, uh, like, dash cams in his car and stuff like that, which I don't think he had. Um, no. even more cameras, for sure. He could have gotten away with having even more of a reliance on the phones because that didn't really come into play from the midway on just mm -hmm. how reliant he was on his cell technology and texting and stuff like that. Um, he, they could have even amped that up even more. Yeah, it, it would have been, that. it would have been really cool to have a killer more based in technology. Mm -hmm. We haven't really seen a lot of that. A lot of it's supernatural or just dudes out in the woods or, someone with no particular powers whatsoever, but they're just killing people. I, I dug the technology angle of this. It was cool. It also made him really creepy and distant because he's always yeah. looking at things through his... And even creepier and distanter for an already creepy distant fella, for yeah. sure. And it's he's dealing with these people that aren't very technologically savvy. Yeah. Or like just getting about their day in normal life. They're not even analog savvy, these people. It's so they're not going to use it against him. It's not going to be his downfall. No, not... and Which would have been another way to go, too. Uh, this town, wherever the fuck they're from, it's very rural. But not so rural that they're shacks in the woods. They seem like they have regular homes, but no one seems to have a phone. No one's car has any gas in it. The internet's probably dial-up. Yeah, that brings us to, uh, so, 
they, instead of going to the police, instead of calling the police, they have no means to call the police. Uh, Tucker and his wife don't even have a, a house phone, let alone a cell phone. And their neighbors don't seem to, because they seem really reluctant to try and go next door. So they go to the next house. A ra- they go to a random dude's house that has that Tucker doesn't even know. Yeah, just they, some totally random. They guy. knock on him, a knock on his door, and it's a uh, none other none other than uh, Sean Whalen. Yeah, who I kind of adore. Yeah, it was great to see him. Uh, people will be familiar from him. Well, I'm most familiar. From People Under the Stairs, he was Roach. He was the dude that ran around inside the walls and had his tongue cut out. Yeah. That's what I recognize him most from. He's been in a bunch of other stuff, too. But a genre favorite. He's not bad in the movie. Yeah, He's very earnest. But at the same time, he falls victim to the exact same things that everyone else does. Where he doesn't have a phone. He's got this ancient computer. For 2009... Yeah, yeah. Like, it's like 1992 style technology. With a dot matrix printer. <laughs> like, what is that? Yeah, and even beyond like what tools he has available or unavailable, his logic is completely I'm, childish. And and we'll email the police. Yeah. <laughs> Why not go next door? Like. Uh, if he doesn't have a phone or anything like that, and sure, everyone who likes the internet is going to like right away be like, oh, we can just find this online. Mm-hmm. Like These are people that are in dire need of assistance, and there's somebody on their tail that's going to come and kill all of them. They make that pretty clear. Um, why doesn't he suggest going to yet another house who would have a phone? They get him wrapped up into this stuff, and... All three of them end up in a car together. What you don't know is his character's mother has just died. Well, he says that. Yeah, he does say it right away because um, that was the first thing. That's how Princess introduces them, basically. Is oh, he my God. His wife die. And, and then he says, oh, I'm really sorry. Um, my my <laughs> mother just died. And then in one of my favorite lines in the whole movie, she's like, did, did your mother get stabbed by a knife? Yeah, (laughs) some of her lines are really great and i just wish that they had a little more built up around them but in that moment in that line when princess says that that is the most believable at that point of a woman who is really out of her head that her Um, brain is just not working she's not firing properly yeah and so she says something so innocent to her. Yeah. But that is not based on any logic whatsoever because, no, that's not something that happens all the time. But given what she's experienced in the in what would be her most recent memories is nothing but death and murder. So the only memory she would have of anyone dying is a funeral home guy getting impaled by a pipe mm-hmm. or a woman getting stabbed in the head. Mm-hmm. So that's really her reference point for people dying. Yeah. It's pretty believable. Pretty believable line. Best line, line to point. Yeah. And, yeah, and it made me laugh pretty good. Yeah, me too. I enjoyed that because that's definitely something I would say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, they end up going to the police station. So we see that this group of just hapless, lovable idiots wandering like the fucking Scooby-Doo Mysteries gang were just like fucking like just inching towards the police station. Uh, Buddy has that line where where he's like, "What do we need weapons? We're going to the police station." 
that's where I'm picturing Chrome Skull, like, hanging out across the road, you know, sipping on a pop, going like, okay, they should be here in five, four, oh, there they are. Guess I better head to the hardware store and fuck that up before they get there. Because, yeah. yeah, he's not only two steps ahead, he has lots of time to kill in between those. And people. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> Once they get to the police station, you see that all the cops are dead, brutally murdered. Really nicely brutally murdered. Oh, yeah. And it's yet another instant of, like, she basically blows the top off of her casket in the beginning. So it's like, what, you said, 400-pound coffin lid? And it's just like, she throws it out. Well, no, it doesn't land on her. That's what it is. Yeah, but she... But it basically just falls off. Yeah, like it's made of plywood. they go barreling through a jail cell door, Mm -hmm. which is, like, super heavy metal and probably another 400 pounds if not more and it just blasts inward well you know chrome skull hit you see that dude looks like he does a lot of push-ups a lot of push-ups you probably yeah he probably does a lot of push-ups while he's waiting for his victims to come and find him <laughs> you get to see a little bit of chrome skull using technology as he has a recording on the walkie-talkies to make them think that at least one of the police officers are still alive um, that was a pretty good scene. Yeah. And when the sound started to get distorted, that was legitimately a good little creepy bit of audio that they had in there. And in those moments, I was like, more of that. Yeah, well, I found it super effective and a great use of t- the technology that he comes to rely on. Mm-hmm. And uh, they build a nice tension because they've got the one guy in the storage room going, hey, it's okay in here, guys, while mm-hmm. they're just figuring out mm-hmm. that it's not okay at all. And yeah, I really enjoyed that too. It was pretty good. And I'm not going to harp too much on the idea that all of the police in the police station that were all in the station together, they're all handily taken out by this killer. We've seen that in a lot of horror movies. It's interesting that people go that route, but I guess it's to invent closed space. That was a thing about this movie that jumps for me. All of these bits of bad luck, nothing more, nothing less, that make them unable to call people, unable to drive to places, unable to do logical things. It seems so contrived. And again, I want better problems. Yeah, yeah. Don't... And ones that you wouldn't just solve by leaving that space. Yeah, yeah. Which they seem to have free reign, too. They jump into numerous cars. They walk very far distances mm-hmm. from one of these places to another, probably passing help along the way. Mm-hmm. Skull doesn't seem particularly interested in killing anyone else. He will if they're in his way, but his focus is definitely princess. And you come to realize that this is a very regular thing for him. He's apparently a notorious serial killer. There's some information available on him. Yeah, online, because they just type in a random string. like. Yeah. And that doesn't jump for me. You can Google just about anything. Yeah, but it takes you a little more time. Well, I don't know about that. All right, then. I know. I'm pretty good. I got strong Google Foo. I'm a black belt <laughs> in Google Foo, for sure. But what they type in and how quickly they find it and what they find and don't share is super annoying to me actually well yeah there's that um and if you typed in like serial killer in a state in in a county you would find way more than the one dude yeah those guys are everywhere yeah unfortunately the thing that i found interesting when we realize that chrome skull's funeral home is not his lair per se but it's a place that he's using to the knowledge of the funeral home owner 
uh, you realize that this person is being paid by Chrome Skull in some form. So it adds a little bit more intrigue to this character. Again, most of the interesting facts coming from this are about Chrome Skull. And you start to wonder, like, this guy has all this tech. He's got a really nice car. He's got some kind of an expensive phone. It doesn't look too great to me, but... And other phones, too. Yeah, and other phones. There's people that he can pay off. He's got vanity plates that say Chrome Skull. (laughs) He's got a fucking tattoo with his own logo on it. Like, his skull with the... Two awesome knives. The two awesome knives cross each other on his chest. So you're dealing with, like, a very narcissistic and affluent killer and killing is his business business is good yeah yeah he's got it under control and he's got his brand here's his card find him on twitter yeah yeah if if you want uh some poor women killed he seems to bring them to the funeral home put them in caskets and dismember them or kill them whatever like he's just killing them and he videotapes the entire thing to the point where he is making sure that the right women are on right tapes because there's another there's a living person in the what would you call it? Like a, I guess just like a, was like a barn or something that was yeah. next to the funeral home. There was like a living person that he made sure before he killed her that he switched the tape over, so it's the right person's tape. So it's very methodical, anal retentive. Yeah, and I don't know. I want to see um, the second one pretty bad now because I got curious because he's got princess on the miami tape and he's got this other girl on a different tape and he's got a new tape for this place even though it's a continuation of the miami tape in a way um but does he take people from places to begin the next show as it were and sort of you know you're following this character in this city and then i take them here and kill them and then i choose somebody else there and we'll follow them for the duration of this city's tape until I go to the next place with that person, kill them there. Like, I want to know how that overlaps. Mm -hmm. Because they do slightly overlap. But yeah, he mostly does keep the same person on the tape where they came from. Mm -hmm. Very fascinating, weird method to this guy. A lot of ritual. They get to the funeral home, and I guess they're going to hunker down there. (laughs) But not before... This is the interesting thing, and also kind of frustrating for me when characters make decisions to split up in these types of movies. I understand that it is a trope. You need characters. When characters are too well fortified, too well protected, you need something to go wrong. That's why in zombie movies, someone's bit and they don't tell you. That's why this guy, Tucker, says, I gotta gotta move my wife's body because I can't have my brother-in-law see her. Now, this information to us is useless because we know... That his brother-in-law is dead. But even if we didn't know that, my first thought is, no, it's good. Leave your dead wife's body there because you guys need help and the cops aren't coming. You need somebody to find out what's going on. If your brother-in-law is supposed to show up at six in the morning, let him. He'll find the body. He'll call the cops. Bob's your uncle. Helps on the way. Mm-hmm. But no, he decides he has to go and cover that up and he's going to wait for his brother-in-law mm-hmm. or he's going to go and cover her up and come back. And wait somewhere where his brother-in-law doesn't know where they are, has no clue to come looking for them at either. I mean, it's just a completely ridiculous decision. (laughs) And he takes her only mode of transport away from them. Well, man, let me... We're going to talk about a scene that I had forgotten about until we watched it. And that was when Princess finds the other girl tied down to the coffin. Mm -hmm. And she's still alive. 
Princess has a knife in her hand. This woman is bound by rope. Chrome Skull is approaching. She attempts to pull the ropes off. By the way, she's having a hard time doing yeah, this holding the because knife she's holding the knife in her yeah. hands. Then, when Chrome Skull is barreling down on her, she doesn't get that woman's hands free. She takes the knife and throws it at him, not like a like a depth ninja move where it's going to land in his head and he's going to drop dead and you're going to like, wow, Princess is a badass. No, she throws it like a monkey flings poop and it hits a fucking light. It doesn't even go anywhere near him. Yeah. And I'm like, well, there goes your weapon, Princess. Yep, she throws it away like it's an annoying thing that's, that's <laughs> hindering her. <laughs> yeah. I I can't fucking even. Yeah, completely. And yet ridiculous. I still like this And at movie. this point, you're still, you know, you get it. And by this point, you know what's wrong with her head, sort of. Yeah, maybe um, her motor skills aren't there because she's still... Partially, but that's not driven home. And I'm not convinced at this point that, you know, there's times when she thinks pretty clearly. She's starting to sort not remember things, but a little bit of remember things. If she has a moment to think hard enough. And they spend lots of time thinking and being quiet and trying to remember. Um, to no avail. It's no help. Um, I'm still not sure what is exactly wrong with her at this point. So she's had a blow to the head. That doesn't make people behave the way that she is. She's not behaving like a concussed person. She's behaving somewhat like a drugged person, but not at all when she's making really ridiculous decisions like that and not knowing how to operate a knife and things like that, where she knows what knives do because she's seen them be stuck in people's temples. <laughs> yeah, she definitely knows, but that's Chrome Skull's knife. That's like a super, that will cut through a human being like eh, they're made of fucking warm cheese. Yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah, it is a sharp knife. Oh, it's super sharp. That guy cuts through bone like nothing. Yeah, right through somebody's head. Oh my that God. Was awesome. What that a, was actually awesome. What a beast. Very strong and dangerous, this fucking Chrome Skull. Mm-hmm. Someone should make an action figure out of him. Yeah, I know, totally. Like <laughs> I said, I would totally buy a Chrome Skull action figure for sure. I'd like to have it have like the removable face too. That oh, that'd be, be fucking cool. cool. It could come with like a little can of extra slime, so I could slime it up and then like pull it away. <laughs> it's like uh, a Ghostbusters toy. Just like dip your toys in slime. Totally. <laughs> Gross. I hated those toys. Me too, because I didn't. Because people were just like, "Oh, that's awesome! You can just slime your toys." I'm like, "Why would I want to put slime all over my toys?" You know what'll happen? Then I have to wash it. You yeah. know how much time I spent washing toys when I was a kid. I still, you know, I I was I spent before like before you got here. I spent about twenty minutes cleaning out the thing to sharpen my eyeliner pencil. <laughs> twenty minutes, twenty minutes cleaning that. Is that why you said I had to wait? Oh, I gotta wake up, Wes. I'm so busy. <laughs> That's what I was doing, cleaning out an eye pencil sharpener. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I have visions now of me like cleaning out little R two D two action figures with a toothbrush and hand soap because I didn't want to use anything really abrasive, so I use like a soft toothbrush and hand soap. Cleaned up C three PO because I found him in the sandbox. He oh. was crunchy, you know, when you move his little joints. Oh. So I had to uh, clean them all out and stuff like that. Oh. Yeah, I spent a lot of time cleaning toys. Fun fact. That's what we deal in here at Dead Air Podcast. Fun facts. Fun facts. Um, they eventually get to, after all this running away, finding out some shit about Chrome Skull, realizing that he seems to have influence with at least the funeral person who's dead. Their next big plan once they get together is to 
go to the market or to figure out what to do next, their next step. Princess gets frustrated because Tucker, understandably, is quite frustrated at this whole situation. He did just pick up a stranger to try to help her out. His wife is now dead. People around him are dying. They can't seem to accomplish anything. And one of the things that I'll give this movie credit for is that people seemed genuinely upset when other people die. Now, the... uh, Tucker has a couple of scenes where he's yeah. he's furious, he's crying, he's frustrated. Um, he's I la- had faulted him at one point for it, but he totally redeemed himself. With trashing his yeah. room. And that with, was a really kind of awesome scene. It was a really good scene, very yeah. believable. Um, it was filmed well, too. Oh, it was filmed well. I liked, yeah. I liked the cut from... The, you were talking about like the cut... When he, he smashed the lamp, the lamp yeah. and then it cuts. That was a good shot. Um, there's the, the movie. It's got some good shots in it, and it's got some good acting moments. But you're to the point where he finally kind of snaps on Princess and tells her to snap out of it. Snap out of it, yeah. yeah. And you know, getting frustrated with the way that she's speaking, getting frustrated with everything that she's doing, and she gets a little cold on him because again, this is a character who's entire life up until this point that she knows of is just running scared and people getting killed so whenever she has a breathing moment it's to figure out who the hell she is and where the hell she came from yeah when tucker and sean whalen's character uh uh are removing steven's mother's body that was at the funeral parlor from the trunk of chrome skull's car we kind of glossed over this, but uh, Stephen really likes his mom. His mom just died, and he's having a difficult time. Believable for someone who would be really sensitive to oh, totally their, their, this boy. Yeah. So, but you have an idea. He's an adult man. He clearly lived alone with his mother. His mother just died. His mother is on the slab. What's cute about that is he said. He said several times he doesn't want to see her like that. He can't go in there. He doesn't want to see his mother like that. And we've already seen her because that's one of the first cadavers we encounter mm-hmm. is his mother. We don't know that till later on, but it's quite memorable because it is the first um, really decrepit and decomposed cadaver that we see. And she has a huge Y incision that's mm-hmm. sewed up rather crudely. And she's only recently embalmed. And it's one of the first other people, even though it's dead, that princess sees when mm-hmm. she first wakes up at the beginning so we have a good eyeful of the state that his mother is in so we kind of don't want him to see that either yeah yeah and so it's pretty believable i thought that that was a nice touch he is genuinely genuinely upset at the idea of seeing his mother again when he does he's terrified and then when he realizes what chrome skull has done to the body he is in tears he's Oh, he loses his shit. He completely loses his shit. They have to move the body. That's when tensions flare between the characters. This interaction is believable. Very believable. And then when he moves his mother's body, when he actually puts hands on this, and this is what I really understand. I couldn't imagine touching a dead human body. I couldn't imagine it. But I don't like dead things. Like I like dead animals, dead anything. I get really wigged out by them. I don't want to, I certainly wouldn't want to fucking touch them. So here's the thing, uh, like stripped bone and, and, uh, taxidermy stuff. That's a different story, but I'm talking about like 
a, a dead thing on the street. Yeah, but, yeah. If you found like a, a dog or cat that be hit by a car, you oh know, the guy that's gonna I would, move I would, it. I would, I would just be like, I can't, I can't look at it. I can't look at it. Which is funny because I like horror movies and stuff like that. But as I tell people all the time, who make fun of me for being such a, a chicken in real life, it's, it's, it's like that's a movie, and I know that's a movie, and that's special effects. That's different. That it's, it's not a real thing. So when he picks up his mother's body. Uh, even though it's all wrapped up and he can't really see anything, he like runs off to throw up mm-hmm. because he's just so upset. And I was like, ooh, I like that. Because again, very believable. And in these moments, which are few and far between, I'm sad to say, I see the better movie that this wants to be. I see the actors really doing some good stuff with what they had. And I'm just, you know, and, and I'm this, this woman, I'm sure she's a nice woman and is trying, but it's just not working with her that's what i'm seeing as the problem with a lot of this yeah because there's some lines she delivers right after that that could have been so hard-hitting and a really cool end to that scene that falls kind of flat only because we're we're surrounded by what her character has become to this point which is not laughable like that's a really that's a insulting that's too harsh. I'm being way too harsh to say that. But you just don't get her, and you're just not feeling it. And you feel yeah. like neither is she, that she doesn't get it, or yeah. she's not feeling herself. So Yeah, she says that line where where they seem wigged out for having to touch his mother's body, and she's just sort of, she very dispassionately says, it's just dead, it's dead already, what, what's your problem? It's yeah. a dead thing. What's, yeah. what's the difference? Which could have been pretty profound it's pretty it is it is pretty profound and and uh there could be layers to that but like you said the line wasn't delivered particularly well and then she kind of goes off on her own interesting that she can drive by the way she's having such a hard time can't figure out how a knife works can't figure out how a phone works can't figure out a lot of things nah she'll she'll be fine on the road what yeah (laughs) operating heavy machinery basically oh my god whatever she gets to um, she gets to the market, which is essentially just a gas station hmm. that you would see in any very rural place. Chrome Skull's hot on her trail. Or it's like two steps ahead of her waiting. Cause I guess if you're in that. an area like that, he would know the area. He probably has planned for this type of thing. He probably does this every second weekend. Probably. There was a lot of bodies in that barn. Yeah, all in various states of decay. Um I, and it's good that the funeral home director was on the take because you'd figure that everyone in town would already know about this or live in fear or all be dead or... Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, the funeral home owner, you, you, we see in some expository video that's found that there's so much death and bodies there that he's surprised that people aren't complaining about the smell. And if he wants to keep up this charade... Well, you're gonna have to give me more money. Yeah, and, and which is good because it d- deletes him as the potential father who's protecting his son, mm-hmm. which is an angle that is gone too far too often, and it deletes him as um, where Chrome Skull's like his progeny and like outside of like fatherhood, where he used to be a killer and now this is the new killer and he's training him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Deletes him as that. Um, it deletes him as somebody who's being necessarily threatened and is just doing this out of fear for their own life or he's dangling the the life or death of his wife or something over the guy's head. It's simply money. It's mm-hmm. just money. Which again, 
makes Karma Skull pretty interesting. Yeah, because he's probably got lots of money, and he's already probably paying him loads of money. Yeah, so it, you really get the idea from this that Karma Skull is is like an evil one percenter that's fucking just jacked up on killing, and likes to send his murder tapes to the police to mock them. Look what you can't stop me from doing. And I'll just pay people off. And has vanity plates. Has vanity which plates. Is awesome and so wrong and just makes no sense. Can you imagine like Jason Voorhees trucking around with like fucking Jason? Not even. Imagine any serial killer <laughs> just leaving themselves wide open. I mean, there's killers like Zodiac, who was never caught, but like BTK, who would like taunt the media and taunt the police all the time. They should have looked for... But not like that. They should have looked for the car that said Zodiac on the plates. Why they, not? They yeah. would have caught that uh, guy. No problem. Yeah. It's a no-brainer. Instead, um, they're trying to measure boot prints and stuff. What the fuck were they thinking? Just check the vanity plates, Look them up man. in the phone book. Oh my god. Find them on Twitter. Go to the tattoo shops. Who got Zodiac tattooed on them? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on their chest. On their chest. And handed you their card and tore off in their in their Zodiac or Chrome Skull car. It's oh interesting gosh. because Chrome Skull, speaking of that tattoo, we see it when he's just pulling slugs out of himself. He gets shot a few times with a forty five, which, I mean, they don't really go into at all what makes Chrome Skull so tough. I'm assuming whatever the hell he's constantly injecting himself with is some sort of crazy painkillers go-go juice go-go juice or something yeah because i mean this dude has gotten stabbed a couple of times he's gotten stabbed in the eye once at the beginning of the movie uh and then he got shot twice sewing up those bullet holes like it's nothing and doesn't there's not even an utterance of pain there doesn't seem to be any other scars on him either so it's like he's so used to doing this but he's not riddled with scars yeah, you know, that would that's a good point. That would have been a nice touch to show a bunch of scars on his face and shit. I kind of like or, the uh, no scars because it shows to me that he's so used to being wounded and dealing with it, but he has no scars to show it, so they're healing. Mm-hmm. He heals that well or something. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm just making stuff up. It's it, Yeah, no. Honestly. Like. But that's what we do. We, we, that, that's the, that's the, the cusp of the show. Yeah, it is. It, it is true. That's it, why I do like this so much. Yeah. Aside from people getting knives in the temples and the tops of their heads cut off and stuff like that. Yeah, I I always like sitting around speculating. Well, what do you think this was about? What was that about? Like, yeah, I, I that's one of my. That's what I used to do as a kid. All it's the time, vague right? but concise, and I like that. Whereas the girl who has had a brain scrambled somewhat slightly, that is not quite vague enough and not concise at all. So we can't sit here and suppose very well and play with that in our own minds Mm -hmm. because it's just too contradictory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's two sides of the same coin that they're playing right there. With Chrome Skull, you have a whole bunch of vagaries and a few consistencies that you can sort of patch together a really fascinating framework for this person. But you give her, who has some vagaries and consistencies and inconsistencies and it's just nothing mm-hmm. yeah not interesting at all and confusing mm-hmm. yeah unfortunate by the time she gets to the market we're inundated with cute boys <laughs> and with a horrible taste in music horrible taste in music but they seem like some fun loving 
guys just going to a week-long rave. The the shopkeep, uh, a very young man. Equally cute. He's adorable. Mm -hmm. She gets confronted by Chrome Skull. She's been watching a lot of his tapes while she's in the car. The tapes ran out or the batteries died or something. Yeah, the batteries died in the camera that she was using. Yeah. So Chrome Skull can't do his murder without his batteries and stuff. So he threatens to say that I will, if you don't go into the store and get me batteries, I'm going to kill everybody. And so she does. It's at that point where the the, sh- the 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 shopkeep thinks that it's some abusive, again, just some abusive guy because he reads the phone message because that's how this dude communicates. He's like, bring the tape, bitch. And he doesn't like that. So he goes and grabs his shotgun, heads around the counter, and it's he's going to have a one-on-one with Chrome Skull. Now, I don't know what I would ever do if I thought that I needed to protect somebody and I had a gun in my hand, I'm not going to assume that I would fire it. Because honestly, as I've said before, I'm a big fucking chicken. And I don't, I just don't know. what. So the idea that this guy had a gun constantly threatening Chrome Skull, as Chrome Skull vaguely paying attention to him, is getting his knife ready and walking towards him unafraid. As if he's going to walk right through him. Yeah. <laughs> Grabs the front of this kid's gun, points it towards the kid's head, and that kid's head just turns into a bowl of chili. Yeah, basically. Like oatmeal and chili mixed. Yeah, and I was just like, he was so cute. Why did that happen? Because he's stupid. He's stupid. And I don't like guns whatsoever, but I figure if I'm ever in a position like that young gentleman was, where you're going to have a gun and you're protecting something or yourself... Or warding something off. You're going to fucking use it. You don't touch a gun unless you're going to use it. And how about just don't touch guns? How about that? <laughs> I don't like them anyway. But that he seems to have in his mind, like, he's going through this. If that guy steps one foot closer, I'm going to shoot him. Or maybe one more foot closer. Okay, I'll give him another foot. And, like, the guy's on him and has the gun pointed at him. He should have had the oh he, he, had, he, had, he had the baseball bat right there. Why didn't he grab the bat? Yeah, it's a little safer. It doesn't matter at that point, I think, what you grab. He is going to be used against you. So yeah. why they didn't just lock the door. That's a good point. Yeah. Um, the two raver guys that were that were that that we meet in the scene, really meet, don't, uh, seem pretty freaked out, too. They go from kind of being jokey assholes to kind of concerned and like, oh, no, 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 what's going on, what's going on, and... Yeah, second most intelligent people in the film. Yeah, and once that kid's brains get splattered all over the side of the building, Tucker and Steven show up, and the final confrontation can happen. Chrome Skull uh, handily kills one of the raver kids. And then, Quite, he's got this thing for headlessness. Yeah, yeah it's all it's a lot of headshots. It's a lot of, I'm just going to... Decapitations. Gonna, and... Yeah, he doesn't really... He seems to take his time... With his actual victims with the videotapes. Yes. He, when it's, he's doing his out and about. Yeah. Just clearing people out of his way. Yeah. That's, that's just, I'm headshot, headshot. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm doing. Which, you know, no complaints. It makes sense to me. He's a ruthlessly efficient chrome skull. (laughs) He is efficient. He is efficient. I'm sure he would pat you on the head for that. Yay. So by some weird stretch of the imagination... Steven 
has the super epoxy because they're looking around the store for like weapons to possibly use. No one grabs the bat initially. They all have like these weird MacGyverish fucking shit that they are going to grab. And they make another tire sealant joke because that was one of the jokes when they're looking for weapons at the beginning. It was like, well, I have this tire sealant. We can probably like put it in his ear. <laughs> not funny and then in that store the guy's like all i could find is this tire sealant and steven looks at him just like "Ugh, like we've been there already yeah. like it's just not funny but yeah why would you grab tyler's tire uh, tire sealant and think this is the weapon i'm gonna use my knee-jerk reaction honestly was what is heavy and has some weight to it and looks like it won't break if I crack someone in the head with this. That would be what I would be looking for first. Yeah, yeah. Something stabby or something clubby. Yeah. Not, well, we could do this weird shit. And, but, you know, Stevens. <laughs> if better. you hold them still long enough, maybe I can ram this thing deep enough into his ear and then might, this might have some sort of Steven effect. goes outside, grabs the Crumb Skull's murder kit, brings it inside. By the way, you pointed out that the shotgun that that kid was still was using was still there. Yeah, and there's all sorts of ammo behind the thing. I know they were looking for a particular ammo. I don't know enough about guns to know if they were looking for ammo for that gun, but they hadn't grabbed the gun, so yeah. it didn't matter at that point anyway. It didn't matter at all. Uh, he <laughs> he takes out Chrome Skull's mask glue. It's so random, and I, it didn't jump for me the first time I watched this because I don't know why, but this time it really did, where he's painting... He, he has this whole story about how strong this glue is, and they use it in the military, and the doctor had to cut off his pajamas, pajamas from his skin his because yeah. it was so crazy good glue. Use it for gluing wounds shut. Yeah. You can also use super glue for So he pours shut. out Chrome Skull's glue, and then he puts it in the bottle, and then he puts it in the briefcase, and then he closes the briefcase. I'm like... What was that for, dog? Like, yeah, they use it later in the movie, and it's a good thing he did that. But A, he's not alive to see it. And B, how did you know that was going to happen? And at that point, you have his kit, and you don't think he's going to get it back, because you're hoping to succeed in whatever, in whatever plan. Yeah, whatever yeah. did you going to do? Like, what are you going to do, throw it in his face? No, because you put a bottle in, in a bottle, close the bottle, put it in the briefcase, close the briefcase. I don't know if we've missed something. This is the first time I've seen it, so I don't know if I'm missing something. I don't think you are. Uh, but anyways. He mixed up a bunch of glue with super epoxy for no reason. Yeah, and... So, Crumbskull puts the fucking mask on at some point after... Uh, princess learns her true identity and thanks to video which is probably the best acting out of this girl i really enjoyed that actually mm -hmm. uh, that really got my attention the video of her and where she came from and how he got her because she was in her element i suppose mm -hmm. and at that point like i'd made a, a statement about maybe she should have shown more skin which i've never thought about an actress ever before which is just a horror i feel horrible for even thinking that but at that point she is playing like a wholly different character and she's much more in her element and the character is much more interesting unfortunately for that for a few minutes anyway well, she's talking like a person yeah 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 mm -hmm. where she's doing something that she can do um and she has a whole bunch of personality in mm -hmm. that character in the in the few minutes that we see her mm -hmm. the way that she was before. Um, totally compelling, interesting character, even though a little bit formulaic, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But she did it really, really well. Yeah. And one thing I really liked is when 
he's showing her the tape and stuff like that and explaining to her why, sort of, as best he can and as best as she can comprehend why she's there. Um, he's terrorizing her unbelievably. And I had hoped and wished for so much more terror from him as a slasher. When they're in his car, they could have he could have locked them in there and they, he could have terrorized them from the outside. Um, some of the kills where he begins with a little bit of the terrorizing of his victims or the people, the witnesses to his victim slaughter, he has a little mild terrorization. Or when the girl's trying to reach for the phone in the car, the um, brother-in-law's girlfriend there, mm-hmm. and he sort of terrorizes her for a minute. They could have really amped that up because he is a terrifying fucking dude. Like you've said, he's huge. He's got this scary reflective mask, which is an awesome mask. And he's got a huge knife. He's got a backup knife. He's got the camera. Like he is a terrifying fucking dude. Oh, yeah. And if you've been privy to what he's going to do with that knife, you know how terrifying he is. But he doesn't ever really play cat and mouse as bad as he could mm-hmm. until that end scene where he really pours it on. Yeah, really taking his time and mocking her. It, it was pretty good stuff, especially I liked when he like smashes his head through the glass and he's doing his symbol. Yeah. When he does it, he's he like, his yeah. logo. Yeah. <laughs> Did you just watch too much WWE as a kid? Or it's something, you, you want to know something? Honestly, it, it goes to branding and a rich corporate guy that he probably is Mm. probably has a good understanding about marketing and branding and so this is where his mentality is okay i can respect that i can respect branding and marketing why do you think you're a little green zombie and not a human being yeah yeah because i'm not that green in real life not really no i don't have a noose around my neck usually not usually yeah but yeah no that that doesn't make some sense it still strikes me as so cartoony that he is just mocking another hero to me but yeah well i haven't watched the second one so maybe that all gets explained to me yeah the, the the second one expands upon this character's background and then you get perhaps not an identity but you understand what he's about the one thing that was weird for me watching it not realizing that there was ever going to be a sequel because it seemed to end fairly definitively even for a slasher movie because there was there was nothing about chrome skull that i felt was particularly supernatural so he he looked like that guy was fucking done anyways the weirdest thing for me was so wait you introduced a character within the last 15 minutes of this movie and then you're going to have your main character now they're just on the road together like this guy has had 5 10 minutes of screen time yeah so that was really fucking weird to me and i remember thinking that the first time i watched it and the scramble brain note that she leaves and the fact that they're you know, claiming that they're not going to wait for the cops because they've waited all this time for the cops. The cops aren't going to come. They can definitely see the cops coming in their rearview mirror. Oh, they're they can seconds, definitely seconds away. Hear the sirens. They yeah. can hear the sirens. Yeah, they're on a lonely road. There's nothing else there, and two cop cars, seconds after they pull out of the gas station, come tearing tearing in, in with their yeah. with 
Calvary, for fuck's sakes. And the guy that she's with doesn't have his brain scrambled at all. He's about the quick-wittest person in the whole group. He has that that line when uh, Stephen and Tucker are like, why didn't you pick us up? He's like, look at you, you're carrying a tire iron. Who would pick you up? Exactly. The most brilliant thing in this entire film. So he's he's the smartest guy in the bunch. Mm -hmm. And he can definitely hear and see those cops coming. And she's like, no, I've already waited for the cops. And he's like, good enough for me. And hits the road with random stranger. Yeah, he's like, I was on the road to a rave with my best friend. He's had his head cut off now. And now I'm with a strange woman covered in blood Mm -hmm. off to Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely unbelievable. It would be more believable for me at that point if if Chromeskull would have popped up and just demoed him. Honestly, why have that at all? Have her bash... Chrome Skull's head in if you have to. Credits. Oh yeah. What do you like what like I would have enjoyed that too. Or or like or or she leaves the market and he's just standing there flabbergasted and cops come over, fade to black credits. There's gotta be like, a lot of silly things that we'll never understand the reasons for. Like why is tire sealant so hilarious? I don't know. <laughs> they use it in a kill. They do, but it's not like I'm I saw that coming, and it was, yeah, whatever. It's not funny to me. It's not interesting. Oh, that was kind of ridiculous. Maybe some... Well, considering that all three of them are just standing there like, no, don't do that. What? <laughs> and then and then Tucker's like, get out of here, princess. I'll hold them off. She just sits in a corner and cries. Like, ugh. Yeah, yeah. Just silly decisions. We'll never really understand the reasoning for, ever. So just like the ending. I mean, we'll never understand why... She just gets in there all day's eyed and it's like, let's go to Atlanta. It sounds perfect. And here's the thing. It sounds as though I really dislike this movie. And we're kidding it pretty hard. But I do like it. I like Chrome Skull. I like the kills. I like some of the scenes that are effective. Some of the acting in it is okay. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has a couple lines. And there's that one girl that gets dead really, really fast that's yeah. a fine actress. And and you have and that scene you talked about, Tucker, you you, you agreed with me. That was a when good scene. When he demos his, his, yeah. the room. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so really cool. there are moments. And I do like a lot of the filming. I like a lot of the crane shots. I use some really effective crane shots. Mm-hmm. And as much as I made fun of the lighting, like, oh, they got this, like, Freddy Krueger walking down the hallway lighting. They ripped that off, which <laughs> you give me crap about. But then seconds later, it's the exact same lighting, but the lights are now on the inside of the house, shining out the windows instead of on the outside of the house, shining in the windows. It's atmospheric. It's great. It's good use of fog machines and stuff yeah, they like had that. Yeah, they had some good fog yeah. in a couple of scenes. It's good looking. It just makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of that's kind of like my whole jam though. Yeah. Good looking. I don't make any sense. <sighs> I'm all out of jam. <laughs> and on that note, I'm Wes Knight. And I'm typical Lydia. And you've been listening to Dead Air. <laughs>